Welcome to Secret Handshake, the podcast that covers the movies that help you identify your friends and maybe make a few more along the way. This week, 1994 is The Crow. There's a city of perpetual night, constantly soaked in rain, and Ernie Hudson being a cop that's so smart they demoted him. Martin. Yes. It can't rain all the time. People once believed that when a soul can't rest, a crow can carry it back from the dead to seek justice and put the wrong things right. Friday, May 13th. It's a good day to be a bad guy. Brandon Lee. I love you. The Crow, rated R. Secret Handshake. I'm your host, Jacob Knight, and joining me as always is Cody Bouchard. Yes, sir. And Martin Carlson. Hello. So this week, guys, The Crow. Cody, this is your pick. Set it up. Uh, Like many of the films that I've covered here, I don't remember the first time that I saw this, but it was uh, must have been sometime around the time it came out. So I was somewhere between, I guess, 10 and 12 or 13. And this movie really had an impact on me it it really touched me like <laughs> emotionally it, like at some core level like i was about this movie for a very long time i bought uh there was a kiosk in the mall and i bought this little cheap crappy ring that they have and it had a quote on the inside it said like love is forever and then the outside it had like a crow or something on it and i wore that thing for a very long time it turned my finger green just because it was crappy metal uh this this movie meant a lot to me when i was younger yeah, this was a weird one. Like, I was actually dreading revisiting it because I hadn't seen it in many, many years. And Sorry like, to hear that. Well, no, I was terrified it was going to be one of those because I'm actually exactly like you in terms of, like, I loved this growing yeah. up. Like, my aunt rented it for me on VHS, like, and I instantly fell in love with it, too, because kind of like your pick from last season, uh, Six String Samurai, I truly believe that this is, like, a teenager's movie yeah. in a weird way because 100%. of the way that it, it works on a very elemental level of like 
love, death, revenge, violence. It even has like a kind of like a John Woo ripoff, like shootout in it. Like it has everything that you want. If you're like a, you know, 12, 13, 14 year old kid and you see this, you're like, oh shit, this is my favorite fucking movie of all time. But honestly, watching it 20 something years later, like I totally fell in love with it again because it's, it's great. Like it, it does exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, ditto to what you both said, but I was, I think I was 11. Um, and I'd heard about the movie and I was like obsessed. I, I was that age where I couldn't see everything I wanted to. My parents a little bit more protective about it. And then my brother's friend had the VHS and brought it to our cabin. We had a shitty old black and white television. So I watched the crow in black and white, which actually worked kind of perfectly. Well, the director originally wanted to make it black and white and just have the flashbacks be in color. I mean, it basically is. It's, it's so desaturated, Yeah. yeah. but I, I watched it and I, I was 11. Like you said, I mean, this is completely like, like you were saying, this was me at 12 and 13. Like, yeah. It's so like I read an, I read a review about it like it's basically pre emo emo right where yeah, it's just 100%. like super moody because like I you know I was at age two where you're like first getting your first like actually falling in love with girls when you're in middle school and this idea of like what true love is and it's I mean, we talked before in another movie like this is what I thought adult life was right was like this is reality and like you say like it pulls on John Woo it pulls on like Tim Burton's Batman. I think it even pulls on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's like of that of that line, you know, the style. And I I adored it then. You and I watched it last year, Cody. Yeah. Like we were just like hanging out here, like pre COVID. And I'm like, you want to watch The Crow? And he's like, yep. Absolutely. And we watched that and Blade back to back. It I was, was fucking awesome. I was just about to say, I think this, because you were t- saying that it pulled on those other films, I think it also strongly influenced like Blade and The Matrix. Yes, absolutely. And- yeah. And I like that you bring up proto emo. Though, because I mean, it's Robert Smith, right? Yeah. Like, what didn't James Obar, who wrote the comic, like actually base the look of the crow off of Robert Smith? And, I believe like, so. He listened and, to a lot of uh, The Cure and yeah. uh, I forget what else I was reading earlier today. The but, Smiths, I would imagine. Yeah. But well, it's, it's like that whole like gothy 80s uh, post punk, like kind of, and then, you know. He supposedly based the face of the comic book character off of Robert Smith and then like the body type off like Iggy Pop. Yeah. And he mm-hmm. wanted he wanted Iggy Pop to be in this, but they couldn't get it lined up, so then he was in the sequel. Yeah, unfortunately. Was he gonna be was he gonna be fun boy? Because somebody looks supposed to be just like that type. Yeah, that's one hundred percent who he's gonna I didn't even play. know but I was like that's gotta be who he was gonna, yep. <laughs> he was gonna play. But I mean it just it, it's weird how this movie still works, but also at the same time I recognize that I don't know if it's a maturity thing, but it that it is just working on like that very base level and it's not doing a whole lot else. Like it's almost a pure stylistic exercise, which I love. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it in a negative way. It's just like this it again, it does exactly what it says on the tin. Like you show up for this horror revenge movie and that, it's like that's like a what modern day proto emo uh gothic Romeo and Juliet tale. There's a little bit of that, um, but if, also if Romeo could come back and kill the other family. I kept thinking goth death wish to where it's just like the guy comes back from the dead, puts the face on and just takes everybody out because it's like he's so single minded in his pursuit that it reminded me a lot of those like post death wish like revenge movies to where it's just like, here's what you get. Like you, you're, there's nothing else. It's just violence and exploitation and and you know, 
exactly what you know the the base heads in Forty Second Street want. It feels like um, Goth RoboCop too. Oh, there's a lot of RoboCop. You know, here. I mean, because they they both have the comic book mentality. Obviously, RoboCop is not based on a comic book, but also you know influenced comic books and had comic book adaptations. Of course, the Crow comes from comics, but like the idea of you know, there ain't no coming back. Like seeing the guys, like a whole that's exact same scene. And they're both set in Detroit. They're both set in Detroit. You have like the the four like horsemen that were basically like you know the four dudes he's after, right? To picking them off one by one. Obviously, RoboCop takes more time to get. Like this jumps right in. It's like yeah. he wakes up. It's like I'm here. Well, no, well, he's, he's, he still has to. He still has to get his memories back, just like RoboCop did too. Yeah, I was gonna say the flashback sequences are very reminiscent of like when Murphy goes back to his yes. house and starts seeing like his wife and kid and like it, it's it's when the humanity starts infecting like the robot at that point like they're done almost identically in the crow what's interesting though like to but what robocop has that extra layer of of you know social satire you know and oh, yeah. which which what i'm saying but that's what gives it that extra level because you take that away and it is also an adolescent movie you know, I, I feel like if you do, sure, yeah. you know, and this film is very similar, but it doesn't have that extra element to it. You well, know, it's very straightforward. The one thing that I didn't remember uh, when revisiting it is how mean this movie is. Like the violence in it is like really ugly. The same way that RoboCop, like, well, RoboCop, the, the violence is ugly, but there's that gleeful like Paul Verhoeven like I want every blood squib to just be a fucking volcano type thing, but here Verhoeven's like, over the top, and this is like more emotional. This is very emotional, but it's also just like uh, it's realistic too. It's realistic, the, but there's also weird scenes like when he squeezes the heroin out of the mom's mm-hmm. arm, and um, you mother know, the, is uh, mother is the name of God on the lips of children. Something yeah, like number, that. Yeah. Mother's a name for God on the lips of all children. Yeah, yeah. It's it just gets it's way rougher. Than I remember. It's, I mean, it's a being for also like the, the fact that it opens with sexual violence towards Shelly. Yeah. I mean, like it's very brutal and, and the flashbacks are like, they're really effective. Like whole, every time he sees it, you're seeing like, Oh man, it's so fucked up. And, and it's really rough. Like you said, and the, and the violence too. Um, the whole thing feel like people are walking on glass. Do so you think about after Gideon is blown up and like, he's comes out and it's like, the way he plays it has this hand wrapped and he's just like this beaten up piece of meat. Joe Polito Poli- <laughs> meat. Skank is the same way after his encounter. Yeah, they, everyone's just like, the whole thing is really nasty. Yeah. But it also like, but at the same time has that like, you know, beautiful through line. It's trying to show, you know, that he's this almost kind of innocent soul with this power now. Right. Um, you know, I was just kind of thinking as you were saying that too, like uh, the movie is very <clears throat> dark and, and gritty and kind of emotionally depressing, but the real like uplifting part of it all is really Brandon Lee's character because he's wide-eyed and like smiling as he's taking these guys out and he has uh, quotes or quips to say. Yeah. He only gets the emotions when he's going through the flashbacks. Is and, it, and Ernie Hudson too. Yeah, Ernie, who's like Ernie Hudson gets like a whole bunch, but is it inappropriate to say that this is Brandon Lee's best performance? I, because, I would agree no. with you. Yeah, easily. like it's... Like, that was the other thing that struck me revisiting it was that, you know, we we had watched a bunch of Brandon Lee movies together. We watched Rapid Fire. We watched Showdown in Little Tokyo. And Wasn't like, Showdown the one that he did before this? Uh, directly before, I think. Yeah. With Mark Lester. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then... Because the, the comic book uh, author was worried about 
Brandon Lee doing it until he came and saw him on set and heard him do some lines and stuff, and then he was sold. Yeah, because that's the thing is that even we commented is that he had that great physicality and like could totally do all the stunts and fights and everything, but like he was still figuring the acting part out. He's really. He's pretty flat, even in Shadow in Little Tokyo. Like, yeah. I mean, I mean, you got Dolph. He's not like giving you much to work with. I love my Dolph. You know this, but it's um. He also tries to do a lot of his jokes kind of fall flat. Like he's yeah. trying to be the goofy partner. And it's like, ugh. Like here, he really lays into like a lot of the theatrics of the revenge, and especially like reading like Edgar Allan Poe lines and. Uh, it, it, kind of the line that you just said, like mother is the, or is it God is the name? Mother's the name of God on all lips of all children. Oh, there we go. Yeah. I always fuck it up, but like, I've watched this way too much. <laughs> I believe, well, the thing <laughs> is, that was is bad for That you. was the other thing when I was watching it is that like all the lines came back. Like I knew by the end, I was literally reciting it like along with the movie though. I was like, Oh shit. I watched this a lot growing up. Yeah. I listened to, we, and this actually, I think the soundtrack came up like episodes ago. We're talking like, what's the best, like, ripper of a soundtrack? Well, that was going to be my question for you guys is, did you see the movie first or did you have the soundtrack first? My, so brother, I, my brother had the soundtrack. Okay. And I heard him play it. I said, that's... For, and I wanted to be like my brother. I, I 100% like, had the soundtrack first. It's so good. Yeah. I don't think I ever had the soundtrack, but I... Really? Yeah, I definitely saw the movie over and over and wow. over. Wow. I had... I played that fucking CD into the goddamn ground. I, I have I it on it my... Now. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just incredible because you had... Like Stone Temple Pilots, who had the the huge hit off of it. Yeah, Rollins Band. Rollins Band. Nine Inch uh, Nails. Nine Inch Nails. Uh, the Rage Cure. Against the Machine. The Cure. The Cure, who wrote a song for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, uh, Jesus My, and Mary Chain. Jesus and Mary Chain. My Life with the Thrill Kill Cult. Pantera. Pantera. There's one more. Um, uh, ministry? Is Ministry on it? No. Helmet. Helmet is, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I dug deep for that. Yeah, man. <laughs> I had a helmet t-shirt in high school. I wore that shit like until it had holes in it. Yeah, Crow Crow was I think this way like I was so just a goody two shoes kid, but like I was like you could I had like a medallion that I had on yeah. my um on my keychain. It was actually from Crow City of Angels because by the time I saw this, like City of Angels was already coming out in ninety six, right. I think. So yeah. like it was catching up in the kids who finally gotten around to seeing the first one. So I was obsessed with the new one coming out. Um and and City of Angels had the the weird soundtrack too, to where you, it had moved into like new metal, where you had Corn, Deftones, like Hole, the Hole, like all of those garbage. Like, garbage was on it, but it was well, all. At least the, the soundtrack was good. Yeah, well, yeah. City of Angels is rough, man. And we, I think we talked about it one night. I mean, obviously, that's a whole other conversation. Of I think like, it was the same night that we hung out. We watched like The Crow, and then I think we watched Blade, and then I think we watched City of Angels. Yeah, we put it on because you, you. I think you came over and we were starting that, and it's like, or no, Aaron did. Yeah. And the thing about that movie is like, I read the whole thing. It basically has like a Snyder cut experience where yeah, the film was cut to shit. And I guess like I read the original storylines, like that's awesome. And they even shot it all. They it just it's completely lost somewhere. It'll never be seen. Well, um, there's like a whole podcast episode to kind of explore not only the sequels, but like the numerous uh, treatments or like people who have been approached to make sequels. Of oh, the my Crow God. Because you had like Nick Cave at one point. He wrote it. He wrote one. Rob Zombie had the weird futuristic 
like it was like the Crow 2046 or some like crazy title to where it all took place in the future. That would have been interesting. Yeah, I would have watched a Rob Zombie. I would Crow. actually. And then you they, know, I hate him. I would watch that. Did, weren't they trying to remake it with Jason Momoa at yeah, one point for the were, longest? Yeah. He, that was gonna happen. That was like the he last. He pulled out in like 2018. Yeah. I think. Uh, Luke Evans was, was the attached. first time he's ever pulled out. <laughs> Luke Evans was attached for a while. Yeah. Um, thank God that didn't happen. Yeah, oh God. Um, and of course you had But this then again, we had Eddie Furlong at one point. So it's like, yeah. from a, a secret handshake alumni, Lance yep. Mungia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. The, and the wonderful um, uh, Eric Eric Mobius. Yeah. Eric Morgan. And then, and then our boy Mark DeCascos on the yeah, TV the, show, Stairway yeah. to Heaven. yeah. Yeah. Have you ever tried to watch the TV show? Yeah, it's real bad. It's rough. Yeah. It's rough. I've, it's, I've made through three episodes. We watched the RoboCop TV show together, Cody. We put yeah. that on. Like, Prime <laughs> Direct is the same thing. It's like, whoa, this yeah. is like really far down. It's so janky. It's it's bad news bears. You see uh, his RoboCop armor just like jiggling around every yeah. time he took a step. But I, I think the other thing that when we talk about with the soundtrack is the score to this movie is I forgot how good the fucking score awesome. is. It's amazing. Is it Graham Revel? Yeah, it oh, is. fuck yeah. It's like this wonderful mixture of film noir and also like 90s industrial acid rock. And it's and the the more heartstring tones, you know, anytime they're doing... Beautiful orchestral stuff mixed yeah. in. Every time the kid shows up, you get that great theme. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, almost like a love theme. It's really great. They're, like, linked to Shelly, too, when she comes... Yeah. That cue when she, at the very end, is, oh, like, walking out of the graveyard. The cemetery, yeah. Man. That, like you were saying earlier, that was 12-year-old me just being like, that's the love I want, Exactly, dude. 100%. I was just like... <laughs> I would die for this love. I love so intensely. <laughs> I'd also forgotten how stacked the cast is to where like, Oh my God. You not only have Brandon Lee, but, and Ernie Hudson, but like Tony Todd is like the main henchman. He's so good in this. Michael Wincott is the bad guy who I always remember. Cause he has that fucking voice. That's like amazing. Bai Ling is his sister. Half sister. Yeah, bang. Fuck. I'm dead. Oh my God. Wincott just almost steals the entire movie. Really does. And then you have but a smile on my face. Oh man, that fucking sword fight at the end in the rain on like the top of that—is that a church? Yeah, it's a church. Yeah. The uh, the Beauty and the Beast sequence. Oh my god, it's amazing, right? Mm-hmm. It's what's funny though when he walks in though is like <clears throat> Tim Burton's Batman. I mean, like it is the same <laughs> exact walk into like in the the pews, but like I don't give a shit. Yeah, you know it's fucking great. Uh, the thing um, I learned today the his uh, hideout, whatever headquarters, it's like a cement factory in south carolina it's abandoned mm. and it's the same place that they used for uh like shredders uh oh shredders hideout for ninja turtles and then also for i guess the city scenes and mario brothers well it's interesting i mean really mm-hmm. wow the ninja turtles thing again like watching this that's i really kept thinking of that movie because i was thinking about the trajectory to like modern comic book films and i feel like you have like ninja turtles then this i think is the next one that takes it in- well you're forgetting one a big one in between those? Before. Darkman. Sam Raimi. So, yes. Is that Liam Neeson? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love I love Darkman. I was actually just thinking about this week. I don't think it's in that. I, mean, I, I think visually, yes. Um, it's not as serious. No, well, it is. I, I feel like just like Ninja Turtles, though, in terms of the popularity of the film. Like, Darkman didn't have that big of a social impact, I feel like. Darkman was a massive hit. Was it that huge? It was a big hit. Yeah. I mean, it, you're it's, what got, it's what got Raimi a bunch of clout with Universal. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, dude, I have Dark Man. I have like the fucking novelizations of that shit. Like, I love Dark Man. But 
Okay, I'll, I'll agree with you. I'll, I'll meet you there. But I feel like in the order, though, like you go from Turtles to this, and then I feel like Blade is kind of like, you know, four years later. Sure. In that same thing before you get to like X-Men in a 2000. It's like it kind of following that like dark. It's like, but it's like Turtles is very, it's dark, but it also balances it well with like the kind of fun humor. Yeah. This is like, I think, pitch fucking black. Yeah. And then, you know, Blade is black, but it's not, it's vampire, so it's not nearly as mean. Um, and definitely not as sexually violent as this film. And then you get to like X-Men and it's like, okay, we're here. Yeah, now we're just doing um, comic booky stuff. Yeah. Yeah, the the kind of holy trin- like trinity for me of like 90s comic book movies is Darkman, this, and then Blade. Like Blade is the one that, you know, we don't have an MCU if you don't have Blade. I rewatched it as my double feature. I mean, I'm not sure it will be my double feature, but I was just like, well, I'm just going to watch Blade because you watch this and you're like, well, I'm in the mood. Like we did it before. They they really go together so well. Um, And what I like about both the films is a big problem I have with modern comic day films, especially Nolan's Batman is like, again, we talked about it's like, I want the city to match the character. I don't want to see just Chicago or, or New York. And it's just a guy in a bat suit no matter how well it's shot. It's like, I want to see... The city doesn't actually have character. Exactly. And you look at this, and the fucking miniatures they built for this are just... Incredible. I love every element of this movie. I mean, seriously, like, the, the, the shots, they have, you know, the miniature cameras going over, and they have, like, the, the digitized bird or, like, the cutout bird. Yeah. Miniature cars, like, they had the car chase with miniature cars in there. It's like... Digital fire. It, it's so amazing. Like, the it, it works perfectly. Even you know it's a miniature. It kind of creates that feel. Similar to the way that some of the stuff they did for Burton's Batman. That was more matte painting. But the miniatures right. here are just so awesome. And Blade was the same way. Blade is L.A., but you never know it's L.A. Yeah. You know, it's it's this, this dark place where everyone's kind of fucked. You yeah. know? I almost felt like that was like a weird Detroit-L.A. amalgamation. Absolutely. Especially with the muscle car that he drives. Well, he purposely, they don't show the main L.A. landmarks in that film. Like, right. you see one time the main the main L.A. building. I forget the name of it with the circle top. The Capitol Records building? The cap, uh, no, the this, this thinner top. It's like right oh, in the middle of the city. It's kind of like a Space Needle? Yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. But it's like, you see it for one frame of Blade. The rest, like, it, it could be anywhere. Any urban city USA. Right. Like you said, Detroit kind of post-industrial well, and I, I also like that they include, I mean, one of the ultimate, like, again, proto comic book movies, like a reference to it with David Patrick Kelly coming in from the Warriors. Yeah. You know? Yes, absolutely. Like, because that's one of the great, like, pre comic book movies that wants to be a comic book, let's say. When he did, and, he did the edit with the comic book frames, yeah, too. No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But, like, having him in it, it as, like, the main bad guy is, T- well, one of the main bad guys is, is T Bird is, like, Ingenious. No, I think that is definitely a a, a straight path right back to Warriors. Like, yeah. I mean, I was thinking the same thing as like David Patrick Kelly for me. Like, he shows up in a lot of Lynch stuff, and he's he's always he's in a lot of. And of course, he's in Commando, but for me, he's always Warriors, and then this, and yeah. and they are such similar characters. It feels like that's him grown up. Like, I could almost see him growing up from his character if he wasn't killed by the riffs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, um, on the beach, but it has that kind of like he's kind of a punk too, but his energy, like the way he plays off with Tony Todd, the three of them, Wincott, him, and he's like, 
they're talking about you know how Gideon's burned to the ground, and, he, and he's like, a "Couple, one of my one of my men got himself perished." And the way he's like talked, <laughs> he got the burn marks like right on his cheeks, yeah, almost like he poked something through, and it's like a scar. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. Everything about him, he's got a, he's got the gauge, a little wooden gauge, like shoved through his ear. His weird like Caesar cut and yes. this too, like everything about his character, like. I like all the henchmen because I feel like they're they're designed in a way, but like he's the one who like you can tell just kind of digs into it and is like, oh yeah, I get to do some Walter Hill shit again. I think Walter Hill is it. I mean, because this also has a lot of feeling of uh, Last Man Standing too. I feel like the kind of city and of course the call pulling in the woo action. Sure. You know, as well. And also the, the idea of the city just being this character in and of itself. Yeah, um, kind of like how Streets of Fire is just in another yes. time, another place. Like, it's that way that he pulls on uh, the, the kind of elemental uh, components of, like, storytelling. You know, like, and comic it's, book. it's mythic. Yeah, mythic. And, and I think, yeah, comic book and... Um, also, like, kind of classic, in a weird way, classic Americana, too, with yeah. cars. It's there here, too. This is, like, urban Americana, Yeah, I feel like. Um, and plus, it, he gets the best death scene. That car explosion, I, I was watching, I said, I think it's my favorite car explosion in history of cinema. When it breaks, when the shell breaks off. Yeah, separates from the frame. It's just, like. It's really great. It, the stunt, okay. Obviously, this is touchy. There ain't no coming back, man. <laughs> but the stunt work in this is great. Minus Brandon Lee's death. Yeah. Yeah. So like, yeah, it's, they were doing a great, you were doing so good. Well, this whole shoot was riddled with different accidents and tragedies. Yeah. They had, uh, some guys get electrocuted. Um, another guy like burned his arm. Another guy, um, like a plaster worker was disgruntled and drove his car, like through some of the sets. Yeah. It was almost, I did not know that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It was, well, it was featured on that that Shutter Doc cursed films, where like Michael Berryman talks about it very gravely. Let's say, but it really was when we talk about the the lineage of movies that were quote unquote like cursed, like The Exorcist and stuff. Like so much shit happened on this that you're like, what the fuck was going on here, or was it just straight up negligence? You know? Yeah, it's it's weird because it. I mean, it's Miramax. Um, <laughs> well, I'm not. I, that was not. Meant to be a joke, but it is a joke. But you know, but you have Edward Pressman producing it, who's legit big. Sure, you know he did fucking Conan. You know, and this guy's done big properties before and big movies. And the film feels like pretty fucking epic. You know, for like you could tell they had a limited budget in some, but also like they knew where to fucking throw it on the screen. Yeah, and they really do. I mean, the explosions are huge. The death scenes are awesome. The gore is great. Um. The, mu- the whole design, yeah. It's it's a kind of a full experience. Like, I was just watching last night, and I've probably seen this probably 20, 30 times in my life. And every time I watch it, it's just like, it just really takes you away. It has that really great, just like, kind of, I feel like Burton's Batman. I, you know, for me, I grew up with that too, just being taken into this world. Um, and I believe the crow would exist, and people wouldn't be like completely like, oh, what are you doing here? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and by Ling's butt. Oh, yeah. yeah. I like the pretty lies. <laughs> She's a, so fucking weird. What a weird... Perf- I mean, she's never given a normal performance. So she's like, a Jedi. She was a oh Jedi yeah, in one right. of the movies. Like, she just yeah. shows up in, like, one of the prequels. But, like, her as, as the, the main villain's half-sister incestuous thing that's happening there. Like, wow. It's my father's daughter. It was another one that I, like, was like, all right, I forgot that this was occurring. 
daddy gave me this on my 10th birthday. It said, it's like, you're a man the moment you realize you're going to die. It's like, oh, God. It's a fucking snow globe with a graveyard in it. It's so bizarre. Like, but that's another one of those weird, like, touches to where I'm like, this feels like it's geared towards, like, 14-year-olds. Like, it's just, like, it's operating on such a, uh, like, strange, like, juvenile level almost. And that's exactly what it is, and I think that's why it played so much to all of us when we were younger and really tapped into our emotional core. Like, it's it's a movie that's not necessarily written towards, but just, you know, really chimes in with people of that emotional intelligence maybe intelligence was it I was gonna honestly say, yeah. yeah it's a simplistic view of of love and of life and revenge and it doesn't there's no there's no gray area about what he's doing yeah there's no there's that there's not one sense of you know there, you know there's a dark side to revenge it, it takes you to oh at, yeah at all like, this could almost gone. be like a brother's grim kind of thing because it was like they were supposed to get married the next day and then they get on halloween out. yeah, yeah. There's no politics in this movie. No. It's probably the best way to put it. Where, like, you watch Death Wish, and you're like... Robocop. Robocop. Robocop has an agenda. Um, Even Kill Bill has some thoughts on it. I wouldn't say politics, but it's more about the moral complexity. All the Korean movies, let's say. I just rewatched Lady Vengeance, like, that kind of thing, too. There's a lot going on, and... I just or- ordered that uh, Arrow Blu-ray box oh, set of so the Vengeance trilogy. Oh I think that's the third or fourth time I've owned that trilogy. Do they have it in 4K? Movie. I don't know. They were doing a lot of 4Ks lately. Yeah, so. we should check. I did order the King of New York 4K so we could watch it on your new player. Oh, yeah. For our listeners, I just got a PlayStation 5 and <laughs> new, new HDMI, new HDMI 2. Took Fury Road for a test spin. Looked really nice. And Cody's never seen King of New York, so we're going to blow his mind. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's going to be good. Um, I want to say real quick, too, I just think that like the screenplay shouldn't be overlooked. I mean, David Shaw, who worked on it, who's a really great horror horror writer. And he's in the movie. Yeah, he's yeah he's one of the, uh, the henchmen at the the long table, the boardroom. Like he's oh, got a gun. Okay. He gets he gets he's, pulled he's, under he's the, the first table. One that gets pulled down and then disappears. He's wearing like a vest and nothing else. I mean, like pants. But he was kind of having a heyday at that point because didn't he do Texas Chainsaw three too? He did he write Leatherface. Yeah. Um, but he when we talked to Joe Landale, they're friends. Yeah, they're, like, they're buddies. buddies, and so it's like it's cool to see. I think that you have. Uh, a horror author who was, and I read his short, one of his short story collections and it's really awesome. And you could see, you know, a person with some real horror roots, like kind of bring his own thing. Cause I read the comic sure. and it, it adds its own little thing to it as well. Um, Cause he's part of that whole splatterpunk he is. era. Yeah. Like Edward Lee and like catch and, and that whole era. So, but don't call Joe Lansdale splatterpunk. Well, he's not. He'll yeah. fight you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So but, as far as the um, screenwriter being in it, the comic author is also in it. When the pawn shop gets blown up and the people are looting, he's the guy taking mm, With the long blonde hair, right? Yeah. That's him, yeah. yeah. Oh, no shit. Mm-hmm. There we go. I love when Cody brings the trivia. Just bringing know, it. quick little IMDB checks. So we ready for questions? Let's do it. Get All into right. questions.
We're back with questions about 1994's The Crow. Cody, again, your joyride. Yes, sir. Take us, take us with you. All right. Uh, let's start the first one off with Jacob. Which revenge death was your favorite? In this movie? Yes. Oh, T-Birds. Like that that car explosion it, is it so exploded fucking great. Off up here. Um I do like the knife fight with um Tin Tin. Tin Tin is great. Uh less of a fan of Fun Boy's death because it's so grim. It's kind of off screen too. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't you just hear about also, it. Also he just gets shot in the leg, right? He he ends up shooting himself in the leg. Oh, then he, then he puts him in the bathtub. And yeah. then he gives him a lot of cocaine. Gives him a lot of heroin. I think. Yeah, you find out from the uh, henchman who is not the guy from Candyman. Yeah, it is Tony okay. Todd. Yeah, yeah, it's Tony you, Todd. You find out from Candyman that uh, he watched him choke to death on his own blood or something. Yeah, yeah. Martin. I mean, honestly, the same. It's T Bird. I mean, that's just like such a cool. And it's it's the awesome again. There ain't no coming back. The whole mix of that scene, the way he shoots the. Um, like the profile of the cars, it's like speeding past, like towards the pier. Yeah, it's a great stunt. It's just the whole thing's fucking awesome. How about you? I always like Ten Tens, uh, just because it's his first. Uh, you know, he's 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 new to the to his abilities. Also, he's still figuring out as he's going along. Like he's sort of holding his own, like in the fight, but then he starts getting his ass kicked. And then uh, when he touches him, he gets the the flashbacks so that like sets him back. And Ten Ten takes off his coat and he's like, "We meet a couple of my friends. We never miss." And he throws the first one he ducks it and he throws another one and uh he's got the iconic he slaps it yeah he slaps it away the knife catches the third the second he just slaps away he's like try again try harder it's just like you know it's like fuck you i'm coming for you like you can't do shit about it then he throws the third one he catches it throws it back at him pins him to the wall that one also uh, has that great uh before like the fight that opening kind of somersault where he goes uh, in the yeah, trash yeah, yeah. can mm-hmm. is really cool. And just laughs on the on the ground because yeah. he's cause cause he's invincible. It's really neat. Uh it's also good too because it that's your in that's your first real introduction to Brandon Lee's character. Like before that you've seen him you've seen him crawl out of the grave and then go back to his place and then uh get dressed up and that was all a body double. Um, but this is your first real introduction to his character. Oh, was that all? Was that whole sequence shot like after yes. his death? Mm-hmm. That makes sense because you don't see his face at all, right? Uh, the the bits of his face you do see, like in the reflection in the mirror, were digitally put in. Yeah, and then when he, when you see his death scene, when he goes out the window and he's falling down to the ground, like that's his face digitally put on somebody else. Also, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's your first real introduction. That's your first time seeing him in this form, and you get to figure out what he's about and how you know he's. Do you remember a year ago, a, a man and a woman, Shelley Webster? He's like, oh, I remember, I remember. Yeah, we did a real good, and then it like that affects him and sets him back. So, even though he's this wraith of vengeance, he's still the emotional man to a degree that he used to be. Like he still feels the pain of it all. Yeah, it's all the RoboCop stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then and then you get the line from uh, T-Bird later on. Like, yeah, like you said earlier, uh, one of my whatever got himself perished. They uh, yeah. suck knives and all. all his vital organs in alphabetical order. Such a good line. God. Yeah, so that was mine. Uh, let's go question two. Martin, going to go to this one. Yeah. Uh, what's your weapon of choice from the movie? You can go throwing daggers, shotgun full of... Uh, rings dashed hope rings and let's go 10 revolver or not 10 10 uh party boys revolver oh fun boys fun boy yeah um 
I mean, shotgun with the, the rings is so fucking cool. I remember when I was young, I didn't realize that like you need a shotgun shell too, which he does have, but I was like, oh, if you just pour a ring in the shotgun, you can shoot it. <laughs> you know? That's a spread gun. Yeah. yeah right? <laughs> I had an argument with a friend. You can go, you can go uh, bird hunting with just old wedding rings. Yeah. How about you guys? Jacob? Can we add Michael Wincott's sword? Oh, it's because badass. that's yeah. one I would use. Yeah, I would. I would get that because he has that whole fucking vault. Yeah, of <sighs> blades that he opens up. Like that, that's also very blade. Like just to have yeah. this big yeah. metal, like fancy. You open it up, it's all lit, and the swords are lined up in a circle pattern. So the art, it's like the industrial, blade. like Art Deco style too right. of blade. You know, yeah. it's really cool. Can we have to talk about how he just dressed like. And an, an equestrian rider. Oh my god! Movie. The buttons go here, and they're below his waist too. Yeah. Like they, there's a separation from the vest, and they're also on his pants. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So fucking cool. <laughs> He's got the knee high boots. He's always got the the flowy sleeves. I don't know. It's like a coked up polo player. The pirate oh, sleeves. Love it. Yeah. That's great. What about your? What's your weapon? My weapon of choice, which is in the. That's one of the songs in the movie. <laughs> Uh, I do like the shotgun, but just for flair, I'll say the knives. Okay. I, th- I think they could have done more. Than- and it's also, as the movie progresses, like he's collecting the weapons and then he uses them back against the guys. So after he kills T-Bird when he's in the um, boardroom, let's say, with all the, the, the long table of all the drug gangster guys, like the two guns that he has are Fun Boy's gun and T-Bird's gun mm. that he starts off with. So that was cool. All right, um, do, do, do. Next question. Totally not just reading this off of my phone. Jacob, did this movie make the leather trench coat cool? No. I mean, it was cool long before this, right? I mean, there is some significance, obviously, because he steals it from Tintin after he kills him. But I mean, no. I mean, you've had dusters. What movies came before? every Walter Hill movie ever made like streets of fire has Michael Perret in a duster. Um, dark man, dark man has one. I mean, there's a lot you could go through a whole, maybe list. not leather, but the duster has been a, a thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even Mac from always sunny. Yeah. He, he always the wants duster. the duster. Same question. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I, I agree with, uh, with you, Jacob, that it's, um, yeah, and, and of course, Blade after this. Blade, and then, you know, The Matrix, you know. Yeah. I think that, yeah, you definitely have... And then Columbine. Oh. oh no, but I, I remember the big deal because um, uh, it was like, I think it was March. Actually, fucking this month, so 22 years ago, 99, I was a freshman. And I was obsessed with The Matrix. I saw with my dad. We were blown away. And then it came... Let's go Let's come out in September on DVD, but everyone, the rumor was it wasn't going to come out because they were like, oh, because of Columbine, they're never going to release it. And of course, didn't have internet in my house, couldn't really look up to realize that was bullshit. And they kept pushing the date back that they did it a couple times to the DVD. I counted the days so that fucking movie came out on DVD. The old Warner Bros. one with the cardboard. Yep. Yeah. At the clip. You the know, old Star uh, Brothers snap case. Yep. I still got mine. I think I do too. Oh, that's so cool. Next question. Next question. Martin, is this Ernie Hudson's best role? Um, no, um, this, it's one of them. I, I really love him in this movie a lot. Um, 
I like him actually in Leviathan a lot. Ooh, that's a good pick. That's one of my favorite uh, roles of his, because you get to see him be like this kind of badass hero slash kind of playing the Yafit Koto character from Alien. Um, he's awesome in that. I mean, obviously Ghostbusters, he's so fucking funny. Like, he shows up so late in the movie, and he just brings so much. You know, um, he has a bigger role in Ghostbusters 2. He's too. really good in 2. You know, God, I love this town in part 1. And, you know, um, also Shark Attack 2. Um, or 1. Shark Attack 1 with Casper Van Dien. Um, no Escape. No Escape he's great in. Oh, no, one of my favorite roles of his is um, Hand That Rocks the Cradle. Um, oh, yeah. He's really, really good in that. As, like, the moral compass. And he's... Uh, Disabled, um, but he saves the day. Yeah. Um, I, I like that a lot. It's a weird role where he goes full yeah. R word as Tropic Thunder would he, say. He kinda <laughs> plays he kinda plays Lenny um from a Mice of Men. It's a very yeah. similar even the way he's dressed with like does the, with he the saves overalls. The day in that movie, yep. if I remember mm-hmm. right. Does it's been he, a couple years does, since I've in seen the it. film, does he get to tend the rabbits? No. Okay. No. Yeah, I would I would probably go with I really like No Escape. The That's Martin really Campbell, good. Like futuristic prison island movie. Can't get it on Blu-ray in America. Nope. Can't. Yeah. Really good, though. That would be my pick. All right. Um, I don't have nearly as much. I haven't seen any of those movies you guys just mentioned. So I mainly know him from this and from Ghostbusters. And I think I've seen him in something else, but I can't remember what it is right now. But I just... Like, he's not the heart of this movie, but he's some other vital organ to it. Like, he he just the plays... Spleen. He's the spleen of the movie. Yeah. He just, uh, with, if, I can't imagine anybody else doing this role. No, he's great in it. Like, um, other underrated Ernie Hudson role, Penitentiary 2. Oh, yeah. I just watched that. Yeah. Yeah. Real good. All right. Next. Sorry, Cody. Oh, no worries. Uh, next question. Martin, what scene or idea would you incorporate from this film into a project of yours? Um,. I honestly, I, I, I would just probably take the RoboCop setup too, of like having like these four henchmen who are like you're. It's almost like a boss level type thing. Where you're working your way up to the boss. Right. Now the funny thing is, for this film is there. He has no difficulty with any of them. Yeah. Like it's there's no like conflict in terms of like are you worrying he's going to be hurt with them until he gets to Michael Wincott. Right. Um. So, but I I love that setup. I love like where you're working your way up the revenge train, um, or <laughs> up the revenge ladder. Um, so I'd probably take that. Jacob. Um, man, I really like, it's weird. Like it's just a minor setup thing, but I really like movies. And it was a thing that when I was watching it today that struck me that again, I forgot about it. It actually reminded me of Watchmen a whole Mm. bunch is that I love the movie or the TV series. Just the, the, um, the comic book actually okay. is how Watchmen had all of the, it has the two detective characters that kind of just investigate and like show up every now and again. And also Rorschach. But yeah, but that's kind of my point is that you have this main storyline, but it has like a police procedural around it around this like supernatural thing. I always like that. So that would be a thing that I would just steal in general. as like a storytelling device is that I love, you know, you have Ernie Hudson as the beat cop and then you have that other a Latino actor who's been in a million things. Who's Cobra. Name, I can't remember. Scarface yeah. detective. Yeah, but he, uh, 
Like they have the whole feud thing and they're going through and like stealing case files and who, blah, blah, blah. Who, who objectively is not good at his job because he's always getting beat out by Ernie Hudson as a, as a beat cop. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of like the main conflict between them. But that's the thing that I really like is like, here's this weird cop movie. You ever see the Lou Diamond Phillips movie, The First Power? Absolutely. Where it's no. like... You know him hunting like what is it like a possessed like serial killer? It, it's it's almost like Fallen. It's a little bit like Jason Goes to Hell. Yeah, it's a, it's a hot body hopper. But it's a straight yeah. up cop movie with a like supernatural elements. Like that's how I I forgot that like the crow literally opens at a crime scene and it's just a cop movie that then evolves into this gothic romance revenge thing. But I, that's the storytelling like setup I would like borrow a million times over because I love that. Nice. Uh, I would take the Eternal Night, Rain Drenched, Blade Runner thing. Yeah, the the neo noir, like kind of detective aspect to it all. Uh, Which also, I uh, same the director also did uh, Dark City, which I really like. Yeah, and that's the same thing. Yeah, Dark City's fucking great. Yeah, good old Kiefer with his mind powers. What a weird fucking movie. That's that's telekinesis, son. What's next? All right. Um. What would you double feature with this, Jacob? Darkman. I mean, we've kind of already gone over it, but it was the movie I was thinking about the most while watching it, is that just these early 90s uh, proto-comic book pictures that are R-rated, super weird, clearly come from like uh auteurs to a certain degree like you can have your argument as to whether or not like proyas isn't a true auteur or not but like they just they feel distinct and they feel from their era and like they're both you know they couldn't be made today because you know post mcu you're never going to have these one-offs the way that the the 90s did and everything's got to be a tentpole yeah like i'd love to watch a double bill of these on 35 millimeter Mr. Carlson, what would you double feature? I mean, my go-to, I mean, it's got to be Blade. Um, <laughs> like, I was sitting here, I was like, because that was my choice earlier when I was thinking about it, and then I was like, is there a better double feature? We've done it as a double feature. Yep. There's something about that era of how Hollywood was terrified of comic books. Like, they really were like, how do we do this? And what I like about this film, they don't. You watch the trailers for this, and it's not like based on the award-winning comic book. Now it's like they'll <laughs> buy any fucking like Cobbler vs. the Aliens is like a fucking like cast-off piece of shit. But they bought it because it had a concept. What was it? The the Mars one, John Carver Carter. Well, that's, no, that's, that's a classic. Old, yeah, that's from the twenties. Oh, that's, okay. Yeah. Um, My bad. But there's that kind of thing now where it's like it's based on even I me mean, even like empty man right where it's like mm-hmm. boom studio they try to be like hey it's a comic book so you're gonna like it and this is a film that basically is like based on a comic but it's not saying we're a comic book film um i feel like blade's very similar in that because blade is a is a badass action film with wesley snipes like yeah. it's following his trajectory with horror elements but besides that you wouldn't know it doesn't say marvel all over it it's just little things as you know marvel and like the Avi Arad and like, you know, Stan Lee's executive producer besides that, nothing. Yeah. And no call outs. And it's like, I'm actually, I actually like the MCU. Like I have no problem with it. Um, I think it does take room up for a lot of other better stuff. Um, but there's just something too about the style. And again, like I said, like just the style of, like you were saying, the city, um, 
this, you know, always night, like perpetual night city. Um, and also just like really owning the tone, um, which I like Del Toro did a lot with the sequel as well. But Cody? I would also have to say Blade. That's, I mean, just my easy go-to. There's there's trench coats. It's an industrial city. It's this underbelly that isn't necessarily known about. I mean, even though it's definitely a lot more prevalent in The Crow, like it's obvious there's, you know, Devil's Night. The whole city gets set on fire. Um, but what I also like about it is where The Crow is a straightforward revenge pick where you have to work through the guys to get to the the top guy even though he doesn't know that he's going to end up going to the top guy at the end because that wasn't part of the revenge part but in blade he works his way up through the vampire dudes and has to kill the one guy over and over and gets to frost but then you learn that it is in fact a revenge story because frost is the one that bit and killed the quote-unquote killed his mother and made him who he is yeah but yeah all, all the aesthetics are there there's the you know the, the duster and the fights there's a bu- there's a budget thing too i was thinking about i think blade was like 30 million even for them when that was not a huge not a huge budget and i like that having a not just a studio just like chucking it was new line too which was new line pre lord of the rings yeah you know or they were just getting ready to start it and so you know, films now with like you know DC, and we saw seventy million spent on re-edits for fucking <laughs> the Snyder cut. You yeah. know, and Marvel the same way for even their like even Ant Man's like a hundred thirty million dollar budget. Like, oh my god, what are you fucking doing? You know, but Blade was like, we got to make it do, and it has the grit of a real. There's black exploitation going on there too. You know, yeah, and because yeah. he wanted to, he wanted to do Black Panther, and for years, right, like, he was trying to make, it and it, they couldn't get it to happen. They said, well. I'm cool with Blade then for a bit until I get to do Black Panther. And that was his dream to play T'Challa and yeah. never got to do it. So uh, it's interesting that Blade ended up costing thirty million because like one of the crew people, as I was like reading through the IMDb, uh, you know, in trivia section, one of the crew was like, so some of the issues they ran into was they were doing a lot of cutting corners and you know just saving money in where they could and still trying to make it look like a good movie. The crew was like, they're trying to make a thirty million dollar film on an eighteen million dollar budget. Mm. So that's what we're running into. Um, I just got reminded also of a, a parallel that I like between Blade and The Crow is like kind of the, even though it's a different kind of genre of music when you get to Blade because it's a little more uh, EDM or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Like there's still like those like industrial, like little dance scenes and whatnot, or little club scenes. Yeah, oh, very similar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. JK. I like Blade 2. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty the, good. The next question. Start off with Mr. Knight. Uh, should they, would they, could they remake this today? Uh, I mean, that's obviously a difficult question because like. They tried. Yeah. They, they did have many sequels. They had DTV sequels. They had a TV show that sucked balls. Um, they've tried to remake this for years. Could they? Sure. Should they? Sure. Would they? Probably. I mean, like, yeah, we're going to have another crow probably before we all die. I would have loved to have seen the Jason Momoa one. That sounds interesting to me, but like... I I think he's got the aesthetic, but I don't think he has the range. I don't know about any of that. I mean, I think he's a little big for the crow. He's gigantic. Like, if that guy showed up in mime 
face, I'd be like, you got it, bro. Like, I'm out. Whatever oh, you need. Yeah, whatever you want. Another um, IMDb trivia. Uh, Brandon Lee lost 40 pounds to play this role. Yeah, he does look skinny in it. Uh, but it's like, you know, I, I mean, if they make another one, I'll watch it. But you know, they've been trying to for years. I would love to see, like, a weirdo auteur-like zombie make it. Like, how he had that. Because I think you can still find that script floating around mm-hmm. on the internet somewhere. When you do the interview with uh, the director at Six String, he mentioned that he, the original, or the idea that he wanted to go with would have been like a crow, but back in the, the Western days. Yeah. I think that would have been cool. And I think that's the way that you actually do tackle it, is that like if you were just going to straight up remake it, it would be kind of boring. Like There's got to be some kind of hook to it, to where like, you modernize it, or you set it in the past or the future. Or, like You just put a different spin. And it would be interesting. Yeah, I think like you go the you go the way of um, like uh, bad lieutenant protocol in New Orleans, like where just another guy comes in, is like, "Hey, I'm doing my thing," or like how you had a Nick Cave's like infamous Gladiator sequel, yeah, to where it was like what time travel was involved. Jesus is in it. Jesus is in it, and like it Wait, was the, real fucking the Russell weird. Russell Crowe Gladiator. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wrote a sequel, a sequel to it. it. Oh, you but, can, you but can it find. Wasn't made? Oh no, no, okay, no, no, never made. But you can find a complete breakdown of his script. It's one of the most bug nuts, insane <laughs> scripts you've ever heard of because it it literally is like traversing time. It's okay. real bizarre. Yeah, I mean, I would say for this, like, I'm not gonna lie, I'll be very excited to see another Crow film. But I agree that. Just do something different. I, li- I like the idea of this happens every generation. Yeah. You know, you can do... It's like Assassin's Creed. You can do it whenever you fucking want. Um, and one of the things I... I mean, I like the setup for City of Angels because, you know, with a kid instead, which is a different kind of love. Um, right. I think the style, they really went a whole different direction. I think, like, it's still industrial, but it's, like, even more futuristic, like, more post-apocalyptic, it feels like. Mm-hmm. Like, or like right on the cusp of like the apocalypse starting. Um, yeah, I would, I think the past would be super, super cool. Um, I think also like maybe a person of color playing the lead, like just changing it up. So you just don't have the same fucking guy trying to be, even if not Eric, Eric Draven. Well, when you Jacob know? did his interview with the director of Six String, he was saying his treatment would have been Wild West, but the, the crow coming back would have been a Native American. That's awesome. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, maybe I think the original thing where it started, maybe, like right. one of the first. Because, oh, yeah, you know, the crow and the culture, so. Uh-huh. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. Jacob, is the crow a face melter? You know what? I'm going to go with yes. Just because I believe there was like a whole generation of people who were just completely changed because of this movie and probably turned on to genre cinema and like love, like just sawed out like everything in this kind of mold afterwards. Like, so I'm going to go with yes. It's way too influential to not be a face melter. And even revisiting it today, like I instantly got sucked in and was like, well, this movie fucking rules. Like, it's just, it's well-made. Like, you, we can make or have the argument about Alex Proyas in general, about, you know, his career and what happened there because there's some good stuff, there's some, a lot of bad stuff. But, like, you know, he he knocked this one out of the park and it, it still holds up, man. Martin? 100%. Um, I think... Uh, I mean, like you were saying, Jacob, like 
affected a lot of people, affected me personally, affected right. affected you. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a big part of my life. I thought it was the coolest thing when I was like 12, 13 years old. Yeah. And I watching it today, like more objectively, it still kicks so much ass. Like this movie is I love the way it looks, love the way it sounds, I love the cast, I love the music, I love like every honestly I wouldn't change anything with this movie. Yeah. Except for the egg scene. Yeah. Dolores, I, I don't know. Dolores the only scene that's like oddly out of place to where she's like, Mom, you're making eggs. She's like, I'm trying. I'm off of heroin. Do you like him over easy? And I'm like, what is happening? Do you this know, could have gone. Every time I get over easy is my favorite type of eggs, the crow pops in my head. That scene. Like, it is like, <laughs> that's how part of my life this is. When I eat eggs, I think of the crow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, I think it's mostly the, <laughs> the music. Well, what do you think of when you eat crow eggs? Because yeah, they, they, they play that weird like love theme where like the kid jumps up. She's like, over easy. Mom, over easy. Don't throw them away. And I'm like, all right, this is a bit much. Yeah. I disagree. I think that fits fine. It's, 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 Eric Draven has brought love back into the world. Sure, whatever, man. <laughs> Cody? Um, yeah, it's it's a hundred percent a face melter, but not in the action sense. I think it's a hundred percent like an emotional formative face melter. This movie is a a a cornerstone of my emotional development. It I I love it to death. I rewatched it today again. It there's not a single thing I would change. This movie does not miss a beat. It's not just you know solid action or solid drama or, or solid exposition. Like everything is placed out. Every puzzle piece is set perfectly. The movie moves along at a at a. It's not a breakneck speed. It's not a sluggish speed. It, it's moving just as fast as it needs to. And it's under a hundred minutes. Too. Yeah, and it's you're halfway through. Like I'm already halfway through. Like, it really yeah, it, it really chugs moves. along. Yeah. yeah, and it's uh, you just. I'm along for the ride every second of it. Like I, I'm never just like checking my phone or what. Like I'm on board. I'm watching it. I'm captivated. I'm loving it. This movie is excellent. All right, guys. Awesome. Well, there we go. We got another face melter added to the list. Hey, hope you guys enjoyed this. 1994 is the crow, and we'll see you next week on Secret Handshake. Stuck on this. Oh, oh, oh. Young, 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 young,